Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today we have a fantastic episode lined up for you around some of the pitfalls of incident response. And I have Oren Wartman, who is Vice President of Cybersecurity Services of North America at Signia, which is the world's foremost cyber response and readiness expert. Oren also brings over 25 years of technology and security consulting and leadership experience, serving as a trusted advisor to clients across many industry verticals. So Oren, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. Thanks, Demetrius. Pleasure to be here today and look forward to the conversation. Let's dive right in and why don't you just give us a little more information about Signia and also some of the some of the great things that, that you are doing over there before we jump into the questions. Absolutely appreciate that. So Signia was founded at Demetrius about eight years ago uh, by a well-known cyber incubator out of Tel Aviv called Teammate. Uh, and we were founded with incident response and the adversarial mindset at the core of everything that we do. So what do I mean by the adversarial mindset? Employing actual uh, nation-state level uh, resources who have been both on the offensive and defensive side of the uh, various intelligence apparatuses, both in Israel, here in the U.S., as well as uh, in other regions where we operate, we are a global company. And employing that experience to really think and act like the threat actors so that we then can help our clients best build their resilience and their protection strategies for their environments. On the incident response side, of course, having this uh, experience both on the offensive and defensive side really comes in extremely handy uh, in being able to help our clients mitigate the impacts of potential cyber events and ultimately speed to resume operations as quickly as possible. So we do, in our incident response efforts, believe in a multi-pronged, multi-phased approach, uh, which really equally prioritizes not only the investigation efforts, but also the response, the recovery, uh, when needed, the negotiation, as well as all of the other, the crisis management, as well as all of the other elements. Because in order to really have a successful response, and what does a successful response mean? What we view as a successful response is one that mitigates the impact and the effect of a cyber attack. Because the attack has happened already, so we really just want to help our clients get back to business as quickly as possible. And these elements operating together, one hand in hand, really do assist our clients in achieving those positive results. Well, uh, awesome. I, I appreciate you uh, g- giving us that that intro. And uh, I am really surprised you, you even have time to sit with me now because cybersecurity is so hot that, I mean, there, there's so many different events happening, ransomware and so many cyber attacks. I mean, it's just one event after the other, one news story after the other. It's just it's, it's so much going on. And I, I actually attended a, a lunch and learn yesterday 
there was a guy from the FBI there. Um, he he works in the field. I won't say his name because he doesn't even have a LinkedIn profile. Uh, and he was reading some stats around ransomware and some of the ver- some of the known variants and some of the groups that are act- out there, and that they have a very professional organization running. The same way that people like you and I do, we're working on the good side, they're working on the bad side, and it's just a professional uh, operation that they're running as well. But let's let's dive into maybe what are some of the common mistakes that that you that you are seeing organizations make with respect to to incident response, and let, let's say before during and after a breach. And if you could also maybe give us some insights into like how do these pitfalls leave them more vulnerable to to ransomware attacks, Oren? Absolutely, Demetrius, and great question. I completely agree with your commentary. Uh, not a day goes by uh, in recent months and years where we're not getting pulled into another complex, uh, high-profile ransomware case uh, we've dealt with many hundreds of these cases in recent uh, months and years. Uh, and this, in fact, does give us a lot of insight and visibility to what goes well, uh, what goes right, and what goes wrong. As I previously mentioned, uh, our entire goal and objective in our incident response efforts is really minimizing the impact. So how can our clients minimize the impact? What are the common pitfalls? And I would, I would go and say that this all boils down to a very simple concept, which is preparedness. All of the pitfalls that we encounter before, during, and after cyber incidents with our clients are due to, in some way, shape, or form, a lack of preparedness. We hope that preparedness is a very general term, but what does preparedness mean in Sydney's viewpoint? What do we advise our clients? How do we advise our clients to prepare best? for hopefully what never happens, but ultimately the inevitable day of having some form of a cyber incident. So there are a couple of very common and very basic uh, steps that can be taken to mitigate potential pitfalls. One, making sure that there is a proper, well-documented plan in place from an incident response perspective. And this is just not a technical It's not specifically about the technical response efforts, but it needs to be a comprehensive plan dealing with things like crisis management, communications, technical disaster recovery. Are we going to be able to get our factories back up and running if all of our our PLCs and HMIs that are running our machinery get wiped, for example? So one is the documentation element. And many organizations have incident response plans that are with good intent, but unfortunately not really sufficient, not tested uh, appropriately, and ultimately not comprehensive enough to factor for all of the uh, very complex, rapid decision-making that we need to happen during an actual event. So documentation and planning would be uh, first and foremost mitigating. Second would be understanding the importance of testing. And when I say testing, this is a multifaceted approach to testing. We need to be doing tabletops with our executives so that they're building that muscle memory on what crisis management decisions they will need to make ultimately during an 
mindset. How do we communicate with customers? How do we communicate with stakeholders and third parties, vendors, supply chain, etc.? Are we able to revert to some manual form of operations during the incident? Having all of these things stress tested and these decisions really being these decision points really being understood in advance by the executives leads to a much more efficient and fluid decision-making process, again, should that inevitable day come and an incident be experienced. On, on the technical side, I, I'll, say, uh, I'll say a few words here, right? So there is a common default, which is a lack of visibility that our clients have, in some cases, in, within their own environments. And this really, this lack of visibility means possibly insufficient logging, insufficient monitoring, insufficient understanding of their actual assets in their environment. And this lack of visibility absolutely plays and further highlights or strengthens the threat actors, the asymmetry that's already in the threat actors' favor prior to an incident happening. And, and why does that happen, right? We, we talk about, in, for example, kinetic warfare. The army that is fighting on their own terrain has an inherent advantage, okay? And that inherent advantage is that they understand the terrain. It's theirs. It belongs to them. They can set up minefields. They can set up uh, booby traps. They can wait, let lie in wait in a position that's advantageous to them. Uh, cyber warfare is very similar in that respect. And this is a key element, in my view, that really serves to lower the impact of an incident. Because there is an important thing that we need to remember about every single cyber incident that occurs. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we absolutely always know where it's going to happen. It's going to happen in our network. It's going to happen in our cloud environment. It's going to happen to our users. This is our battlefield. It's our terrain. Okay? And the advantage of having full visibility and full understanding of our terrain serves to help not only protect the terrain, but also respond within the terrain if we're attacked. And I think this is a critical element. Oren, that, that, was, that was a lot, right? So, I, I mean, as you were speaking there, I wanted to maybe pick a couple things there, but you said so many things. And when I hear preparation, I hear that's easy to do. It sounds easy to say be prepared for the worst case scenario when someone's going to breach your environment, maybe 100 days later or 200 days later, you, you finally find out that someone has been there. They show themselves or they say, oh, you know what? We have your data. Yeah, you can have a backup, but we have your data. We're, we're going to go public with this information. You say you have a backup, so we're going we're gonna to hit you another way. But another thing I thought about, too, was The Art of War, uh, the little book by Sun Tzu. And that's I thought about that, and, and maybe I'll I'll do something nice with the title and the art of cyber war or something I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it's a little, I little funny. The, I I've got the book right behind me on my bookshelf. Oh really? I can't even see that far, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that that's a that, that's a good one. That's a good one. 
Nice. So, so you must you must have skimmed it before you got on got on the uh, on the call here. And, and believe it or not, it's interesting that a book that could have been written so many hundreds of uh, of years ago could be so relevant and so applicable right. to such a variety of modern day topics outside of traditional, like you say, kinetic warfare. Yeah, and and you said you you should have visibility, and plus you you know your network, you you know your infrastructure, you should know where your systems are. But I keep hearing that a lot of organizations, whether it's small, medium, or large, don't even know the assets that they have out there. Have you seen that, like? They find devices or systems out there that they had no idea were laying around because someone spun up something that they shouldn't have, and it wasn't registered in their tracking uh, audit or asset inventory system, et cetera. Have you seen that before? Unfortunately, uh, we see this all too commonly, and uh, interestingly enough, we see this more commonly with some of uh, our much larger enterprise global multinational corporations, uh, and, and the reason for that, I believe, is that these enterprises by their nature are so large that it's very easy for pockets of what we refer to as shadow IP to get run up, okay, whether it's on a manufacturing floor or in some specific business unit that's operating in a country somewhere that doesn't have full oversight, anywhere where you start running into a market federated management uh, model for human security, this becomes more and more problematic. Right? And so it's not that they're not doing the right things from an asset management perspective. It's that there are the known knowns, and then there's a universe of known unknowns. Okay, And these, these assets are out there. Uh, the organizations, in many cases, know that they have this problem of, let's say, gaps in visibility to those assets. And so they try to apply uh, compensating controls in areas where they believe they may have assets being spun up uh, that, uh, that they don't have full visibility into. And sometimes they'll do that through segmentation of those, of those pieces of the network so that should something happen there, it's less likely to move laterally and traverse to the environment. The issue with all of this, honestly, is that threat actors are extremely sophisticated and grow increasingly sophisticated in each passing day. Uh, I saw a stat uh, recently, just in the last few weeks, that, that the average dwell time now for a ransomware threat actor, and you kind of mentioned this uh, briefly, the threat actor might lie in wait from the initial uh, infiltration uh, to the environment for a month, two months, three months before actually executing on their objectives. We're now at a point where threat actors might be in your environment for a week or less until they've actually gone ahead and deployed and detonated their ultimate objective, which is yeah, yeah. the ransomware package. Mm -hmm. We're seeing threat actors who are sophisticated not only in their operational part and their operational technique, but also in their objectives. And, and like so we've mentioned, a lot of organizations are becoming increasingly uh, mature and sophisticated in regard to the disaster recovery component because they say, oh, if I can re restore my backups, then I can pretty much mitigate the impact of 
ransomware. I might be down for a few days, but I can get back up and running. I don't have to pay. It'll be less impactful. So a lot of threat groups, and we've seen this in the past six months, uh, increasingly with the kind of uh, wide-casted nets by, for example, Clock, uh, who's uh, exploited a single uh, zero-day vulnerability in a third-party product, uh, the most recent one with the Move It, the Move It vulnerability, or that it was the Go Anywhere uh, vulnerability that they exploited. And you had hundreds of organizations being hit in one fell swoop through a single vulnerability, and ultimately their only objective was to exfiltrate the data and hold the data for ransom, but not actually encrypt anything, because they saw that as their path of least resistance to ultimately monetizing their efforts. And, and you started off with the most interesting comment, which was, in my view, these threat groups are organized, sophisticated, and for lack of a better term, businesses. There is a chain of command, there is a hierarchy, there are HR departments, there are managers, there are shifts. They operate the same way we operate. Okay? And, and this is important. And, and I know you and I have previously spoken about the, the human element on the threat actor side of, uh, of cyber. And, and this is also important from a response perspective. The, uh, the fact that we're dealing with humans, uh, families, and jobs, they are ultimately threat actors. They have human emotions. They can be manipulated to our own advantage uh, through dialogue. And, and this is part of, again, coming back to preparedness, wrapping it straight back. Being prepared, how will we engage in dialogue with records is a critical decision point that if you don't know, before something happens, how you're going to do that, you sure as hell are not going to figure it out during the actual incident. And this is another critical element uh, from a crisis management. Yeah, and, and so so you you you're mentioning preparation, being prepared, and uh, I, I know we may only have time for maybe one one more question, one or one or two more questions here. But is there a what what's Oren's prescriptive guide for for data protection gumbo listeners on how they should prepare for what can be their worst day right some type of cyber attack or exfiltration or uh, whatever it is right someone got in they have some of your data whether it's encrypted or whether they have secrets or whatever they have like, what is your prescriptive guidance for them to be prepared? That's, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think there are really a series of a, what, what in reality are a few steps uh, that I believe really uh, serve to be this prescriptive guidance. First and foremost, as I previously mentioned, it is having a well-documented set of plans and playbooks for different types of incidents and making sure that they encompass all of the different elements that come into play during an actual incident. That's first and foremost. Secondly, testing. And testing, I mean regular tabletop exercises at an executive level for those executive level decision-making points, at technical level, with your security operations responders and your IT teams. 
going through a simulated exercise of triaging an event, responding to an event, recovering the backups. Cyber incident response is a team sport. It involves many and many teams and aspects of your organization. And all of those teams do, in fact, need to be uh, involved in this kind of tabletop simulation wargaming uh, approach. In addition to that, and going back, crossing keys and dotting eyes on visibility and ensuring that you, in fact, are taking advantage of the given uh, that we control the community. And then lastly, technical testing. When I say technical testing, simulate actually through regular red teaming what threat actors will do in your environment. So very often we, we come to clients on a proactive basis and we hear, yeah, we've done a series of, uh, we, we do our annual pen test as required by some regulation. We, we, we do various assessments to check other regulatory boxes. And ultimately these pen tests and these uh, assessments are not actually meaningfully moving the needle from a protection and response and readiness perspective. Because they're, they're not looking at, um, at, the, at the environment through the lens of what is universally possible and what are the likely tactics and techniques that will be employed by the known threat groups in your environment. So we really advocate for red teaming, which will much more closely simulate what threat actors will do. And then this will, by its nature, help you really prioritize remediation items that are relevant to what the threat groups are doing as opposed to this is what the prescriptive guidance was from some framework of regulatory controls. Not that, not that that's unimportant. Of course, we, we fully agree that there's an important place in our industry for regulatory and uh, industry standard frameworks. But in order to properly prioritize the remediation efforts, because nobody has unlimited budgets and unlimited capacity for it, we need to prioritize through those items that are most likely to be exploited and used by the companies. These would be my steps, yes. Yeah, I, I appreciate your prescriptive guidance there. And you know, I, I can't let you go with, without mentioning wh where do you think AI Right. The big topic, everyone's like cybersecurity is number one and then a well, maybe it's AI is number one and then cybersecurity is number two. And they just kind of flip flop each other. Uh, everyone's talking about both. Bad guys are going to use it to further their own agenda. And of course, everyone else is using it for, you know, con content creation and videos and all different types of things. But how big of a game changer is this when it pertains to just trying to keep your environment safe because you know the bad guys there. I think I saw, what is that? Um, wasn't ChatGPT, but it was another, it was a specific product that they published that the bad guys were using or something. I can't think of the name of it, and maybe you know the name of it. But they have large language models out there helping them get better and more sophisticated. Not that they need to be more sophisticated, they are uh, they're taking advantage of this too. So what, what do you have to say to that? So I, I absolutely agree that this, uh, this topic of AI and 
intersection with cybersecurity are top of mind because we have at least CISO I speak to on a daily basis. Uh, any organization that we engage with in uh, conversation, thought leadership, always is uh, now in recent months and over the last year asking specifically about this topic. Uh, it's something that we at Sydney believe is both a potential huge benefit to the cybersecurity industry, but also comes uh, chock full of uh, inherent risks uh, as well. We know that the threat actors are already adopting AI techniques in order to create additional efficiencies and sophistication for their attacks. And we know that the threat actors, this is their entire, this is the entire focus of their uh, universe, which is how can we constantly evolve our tactics and techniques? How can we better? How can we achieve our results faster? Again, we run with the mindset of a business. And it will be uh, really important and interesting to watch how the cyber industry attempts and hopefully succeeds in staying ahead of the threat groups with these uh, emerging AI technologies, these larger array of models that are, uh, that are really increasing capabilities. At Signia, we've established over the last year a formal working group of uh, our leaders uh, to really innovate, not only um, in helping our clients understand the topic, but more importantly, how can we uh, best incorporate these new technologies into our own capabilities to help our clients better defend themselves. I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities, especially when it comes to, for example, threat detection uh, and security operations. So I think that this will be a, a creator of efficiencies within security operations uh, teams and centers. Uh, but that being said, we still do not fully uh, see it replacing human analysts because one thing that AI still is missing to a large degree is context. And context, context in our world matters, right? It matters context of the asset. Is it a crown jewel? Does it have, you know, data? Is it operationally critical for us? Context of the environment that, uh, that something is happening in. Is it potentially really just a normal user behavior that uh, is misunderstood? So, so we think that there are a lot of potential benefits. We think that there are a lot of uh, inherent risks. Uh, it, is, it is our job as an industry to leverage this technology to stay ahead of the curve with the threat actors, something that historically we haven't been always successful with. And then ultimately, uh, hopefully, this will and could, in our view, be a game changer on the defense side of cybersecurity. All right. Orin, I appreciate your perspective. And also, we, we already mentioned the art of war. What What is one book, What one more book recommendation maybe you can leave the, the gumbo listener? Something you're, maybe you're reading now or, or you want to read in, in the near future? If you can say it, yeah. I don't know if you can say it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm cautiously treading. Uh, I'm, I'm cautiously treading that uh, topic. I, I will say that there are uh, quite a few uh, recent books that have been published that are on my to-read list, all relative to uh, what I view as 
our last line of defense, which is the human side of cyber. Okay, and I would advise that there are many excellent recent uh, uh, books on on this topic, and, uh, and these are ones that I'm really focusing on because ultimately, today, most of these attacks are in fact happening because of a human making a mistake. Somebody falling for a phishing uh, email. Somebody clicking on a malicious link. Somebody opening the door for a threat actor to get into the environment. Understanding the psychology of our uh, teams, our employees, our colleagues, and being able to then use that psychology to, uh, to better protect ourselves. This, in my view, is really the last line of defense and something that we all need to be focusing a lot more on uh, in our efforts. All right. And I think I read somewhere that the number one threat is uh, is us as humans, uh, <laughs> because we are constantly not, sometimes not paying attention or emotionally charged or I mean, it's um, we are easily manipulated. But uh, I, I really appreciate the time that you have taken out to uh, go over some of the, the ways that you can and organizations can keep their environments safe. You, you mentioned planning and preparation and testing, and you can't do enough of any of that stuff, right? And just really sharing some of your stories of, of what you have seen uh, from the hundreds and hundreds of, of different cases that you have dealt with before. And that's what attracted me to, to reaching out to you is that I really wanted to hear from you because these stories never get old and they are very serious uh, stories because sometimes a life is on the line. So, Oren, appreciate you being on Data Protection Gumbo. And I just want to also mention for everyone, go out there and join the LinkedIn group. It's called Backup and Recovery Professionals. There are over 25,000 of us out there uh, having conversations such as these. So uh, go out and join the group as well. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, Stay secure and back up often. Thank you for being on the show, Warren.